This is News Talks on the Record with me, Kieran Cuddihy. Time now for more hidden histories. by the clash Donald Fallon how are you? It's good to be here good to be here uh, Look I have a bone to pick with you I leave for a week <laughs> and Hidden Histories goes all internationalist on me <laughs> no, well, I was la- listening from home waiting for uh, some Irish connection and all I get is the DPRK In the 1966 World Cup well we did talk about how we didn't make it to that World Cup ah, okay, uh, and we were yeah, very very okay. we were very unlucky and I, I shared that, that was a, a tenuous league yeah, Our playoff against Spain in <laughs> Paris if they let us play it in London as they should have we may have ended up in the 1966 World Cup. But uh, we didn't, and the North Koreans did. There is an Irish connection, a stronger, actual Irish connection. Oh, this this week's week, a, re- a real Irish connection. Um, we're talking about the Tommy Gun. Uh, Al Capone, Scarface, all of that comes to mind instantly when we hear mention of the Tommy Gun. And it's the stereotypical gun of the mobster, um, the Chicago typewriter, the Chicago <laughs> piano. Um, but before anyone in the States ever laid a hand on the gun, it was put into Irish hands and financed in no small part by the Irish, eager for a gun mm. that uh, could change the direction of the War of Independence. It is... Even the shape of the gun, what it looks like, it's, yeah. it's iconic, isn't it? I think it's probably the most iconic gun uh, in history. It's up there with the Kalashnikov and the Armalite. But because it's that earlier time, it's associated with kind of prohibition mobsters. Yeah. So it just looks cool. You know, and we see an awful lot of them. You know, no gun holds the same place in pop culture as the Tommy gun. I think there's a great romanticisation of that early 20th century gang violence in recent times. Boardwalk Empire yes. comes to mind. Uh, Peaky Blinders. And really this gun is as iconic as a flat cap or a collarless shirt when it comes to shows like that. And the history of this weapon is marvellous because it's a story of espionage and adventure. And among other things today, we hear about the Mafia, Prohibition, the FBI, the Fenians, even the GAA are part of the story <laughs> of the Tommy gun. So we're talking about, uh, we're basically talking about an, an accurate rapid-firing machine gun that found its way into the hands of a guerrilla army produced on the other side of the world entirely. And in many ways, this is a story of Irish ingenuity from top to bottom, you know, from getting the thing made to getting it into Ireland. Uh, unfortunately, many of the Tommy guns that were destined for Ireland instead ended up in the hands of the FBI. We'll talk about how that happened too. In the early 20th century, they saw a real, pardon the pun, explosion in the development <laughs> yeah, of, yeah, of firearms. Weapons change very quickly and they yeah. age very quickly. And, you know, 50 years, say, is a long time in guns. Uh, and, you know, in, the, in 1916, when the, the, the rebels went into battle, they carried single-shot rifles from the Franco-Prussian War. I mean, the average volunteer in the GPO is holding a gun from the 1870s. And Patrick Pierce jokingly referred to those guns as antiques. And they kind of were antiques. You know, they were yeah. single-shot. You had to reload them every time. They were black powder. So if you fire one out the window, your enemy knew exactly where you were for this plume of black smoke. Uh, and they had an awful kickback, and they got very hot. So you could fire them three or four times. Apparently, you had to put them down to cool off then before you could fire them again. So something like that, you know, when you're in a David and Goliath struggle with the most powerful empire in the world, an 1870s gun from the Franco-Prussian War isn't, isn't a whole lot of good. So post-1916, the Repub- Republicans in Ireland have to look at the continent and ask themselves... How do we rearm? How do we get better guns? And luckily for them, there was never more guns going. I mean, with the end of World War One, there were plenty of dodgy arms dealers all over Europe that were willing to sell guns to anyone who had the cash to buy them. And given that you had this uh, this real takeoff in in the development of it, I thought, look, it's a good time for uh, inventors, innovate, good time for shareholders in arms companies. It would have been a great time for a, for a, for a Dragon's Den kind of competition for gun developers. Because yeah. innovators <laughs> are all over the world stage. And it's this guy, John T. Thompson, an amazing guy, US Army officer of considerable experience, leaves the army and takes up a job at what's called the Remington Arms Company. Uh, and that firm developed guns for the British, 
British and the Russians, so they're equal opportunities. Uh, and he believes in the need for a one-man handheld machine gun in the days of trench warfare. That's his dream. And by April 1921, he didn't do it on his own, but that dream was becoming a reality. And the Colt Patton Firearm Company in Connecticut got to work, contracted to manufacture 15,000 of these guns, which became known as the Tommy Gun because of Thompson. Uh, and the first guns that they produced, they bear the stamp model of 1921. Numbers 1 to 40 were all prototypes, so they weren't meant to ever leave the factory. But amazingly, the first one that ended up in Ireland, they have the serial numbers 46, 50 and 51. So literally, some of the very first Thompson submachine guns that ever came off the production line anywhere in the world made it into this country. You're going to have to explain that then. How did they end up in Ireland in the hands of the Irish? The great Harry Boland. Uh, and people will remember Harry Boland from, from the Michael Collins film. Yes. Such a lovable character <laughs> in that film. Uh, he ordered 100 of the guns when he, when he became aware of their development. And they were expensive. They were $225 a pop. You know, which in the money of 1921 yeah, is a considerable sum of money. Luckily for him, though, money isn't an obstacle. And if there's one thing Irish Republicans in America have plenty of, it's money. Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, the money was just flowing into their pockets. They had so much money, the Irish Republicans in America, Sinn Féin in America, they actually gave a loan to the Soviet Union's embassy in, the, in New York because they were out of funds. So we were just loaning cash around, throwing cash around, Indians... Uh, you know, Russians, anyone that needed a few quid, the Irish in America had it. Uh, and he sends back magazines and advertisements to Dublin, to people like Michael Collins saying, look, I think this is what we need, and detailing the kind of ability of the gun and what sets this gun apart from anything we've had before. And when they get in, when Boland's first ones get in, uh, they bring them out to the casino in Marino, and Michael Collins is there on the day it's fired for the first time. And it sounds like something out of Boardwalk Empire because these American military men, these soldiers of Irish blood, they actually travel over and out in Marino, they demonstrate, you know, this is how the gun works. Collins, Tom Barry and the like, they're all there watching this thing fired. And it gives off this almighty crackle. It was probably heard by everyone, but in miles of Marino. But there was oh, a wow. euphoric... They, sh- they shouldn't have cut that out of Michael Collins. They should have the left movie. that in. That would have been a great scene, yeah, wouldn't, it? wouldn't it? Michael Collins standing there with the first Tommy gun. And on Toglock, which was the newspaper of the IRA, they brazenly came out and they said, this gun is our new ally. The British were terrified. Uh, when they became yeah, how aware, did they respond? When they became aware of this thing, I mean, in private internal military correspondence, they said, this weapon cannot be, be ignored. Its pose- possession undoubtedly makes the IRA a more formidable organisation from the military point of view. And not long after Marino, they actually used it in an ambush in Dublin near Drumcondra on British troops that are travelling by train. So for the Americans, it's bad as well. I mean, if you're sitting over there in the FBI or in the New York Justice Department and a gun that was made in your country is being fired on British soldiers in Drumcondra, you know, how did it get there? You messed up somewhere along the way. Yeah, well. I assume given that they were being manufactured by Colt in the States and then coming here, that there was logistical problems in terms of, well, they had to be smuggled in. The thing about the Tommy gun is you can break it down to almost nothing. You know, okay. like it, it can travel in parts uh, and disastrously, there's a consignment of about 500 of them uh, intercepted on a boat in New York in June 1920. Imagine how different. The War of Independence was running out of steam. This was the month of the truce. But imagine how different things could have been. Or imagine how confident like the IRA would have been going into negotiations with the British if they had 500 Tommy guns sitting back yeah. home in Ireland. Uh, and they were stored in a warehouse in the Bronx, which is just amazing to think, isn't it? Like a warehouse in the Bronx, 500 Tommy guns for Ireland. They put them on a ship called the Eastside in Hoboken and it was raided by the authorities literally hours before departure. Uh, and that was a massive propaganda blow for the IRA and it kind of broke the heart uh, of Harry Boland. But they got some in in drips and drabs. One occasion, 30 of them arrived down in Cork. They're hidden among furniture in a boat. On another occasion, 51 
uh, get into. But it was a real sickener. I mean, to lose 500 of the guns after paying $225 a pop for them, that was a disaster. Yeah, you mentioned the FBI, who obviously would have been panicked over in the States, as you said, given that, uh, you know, the Tommy gun was being used on British soldiers in Dublin. Uh, they obviously then would have had to arm themselves. They did all right. This. I mean, they did all right out of this. And ironically, you could say that the IRA played no small part in arming the FBI because when they get these 500-odd Tommy guns and they realise how effective they are, they put them to use in their war against the gangsters, the mafia, as we come to know them from popular culture. Uh, but the problem is the mafia used them as well. There's plenty of FBI men who are willing to sell on their guns at the right cost. Uh, and the mafia use it in what is perhaps the most, you know, the, the most notorious murder of human history, which is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, in 1929, uh, where at a warehouse in Chicago, members of a notorious gang called the Chicago Northside Gang are lined up against the wall and shot by another gang, riddled by Tommy Guns. Uh, and you know, a version of that massacre actually plays out in the film Scarface. And likewise, it's alluded to in uh, Some Like It Hot, another classic film. But it's an iconic moment in kind of mobster history in America. And it's the Tommy Gun. Maybe the, maybe the Tommy Guns that were used at the St. Valentine's Day Massacre were originally destined to be used some in county, of the, Some in of those 500, court. yeah, imagine that. Uh, they, they were, like, they're, they became synonymous with mobsters. You know, we don't think of Michael Collins firing it in no, the Casino no, Marino. No, we we no. think of the Al Capone We do character. think about, in Ireland, we do think about that old Holt rifle, that, you know, that 1870s yeah. rifle. It's really the Chicago gangster. And the Chicago gangster was nothing if not innovative. Like, they found uh, violin and trumpet cases and they converted them. You could put a Thompson into them. So you walk into a restaurant looking like you're in the house band and just open the place up. You know, without taking the gun out of the out of the violin case. Uh, likewise, it was very useful in drive-by ambushes. And when when prohibition hit, and the mob made its money on the kind of importation and sale of booze, by that point the gun was really the staple mo- mo- uh, mobster piece of kit. So it was very much synonymous with Chicago gangsters, and it was so effective that like the American political class said, "Look, we have to get this thing out of their hands. You can't have criminals carrying around better guns." than you know, the average cop on the street. So the first gun control, if you want to say that in America, happens because of this gun. And one US senator says that, quote, we can never be free from the menace of promiscuous killings until the possession of firearms is everywhere restricted to persons of known character. That's powerful words in the 1930s, very powerful words today uh, in a post-Sandy Hook world. Yeah, it's amazing mean? to think that, what, like 80, 90 years and they're still struggling with the same... Same issues about whether you should be allowed to have a submachine gun. Yeah, well, as Mark said, you know, history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as farce. But this great, this great debate about gun ownership is still happening in America. But it was the Tommy gun, and I think the power of the Tommy gun, that forced that debate for the first time. Uh, Post War of Independence, then uh, gun running did gun running just immediately become a thing of the past here? Kind of up until border campaigns. So and the IRA were never military defeated. I mean, they, they, when the Civil War winds down, it doesn't end. And the order is to put your weapons away, but don't decommission them or don't yeah. surrender. So one of the problems with the Irish Civil War is that no one really wins it. It just peters out. And when the IRA re-emerges, they want to get these guns back into the country. They know there's a lot of them in America. Uh, there's a great story of one famous Kerry All-Ireland football team who visit America in 1927 and then returning Gaelic athletes bring these guns back in their luggage in pieces, bit by bit. So, you know, the IRA is able to work with any Irishman that's travelling forward and back to the States. They get bits and pieces of Tommy guns. The very same guns remain in use in Ireland for generations, making it into the more recent troubles. There's actually pictures of provisional IRA men in the 1970s carrying the same Tommy guns. It's amazing, because you, you do think of the Armalite. Yeah, the know. Armalite rifle was going to make its presence yeah. felt in Ireland in a big way in the 1970s and replace the Armalite. But you still have pictures of people you know, carrying these guns on the streets of Belfast and Derry 
into the 1970s. It made its way into uh, the Merry Ploughboy, the, the, the Rebel song. We're all off to Dublin in the green where the helmets glisten in the sun, the bayonets flash and the rifles crash to the rattle of the Thompson gun. And we mentioned that we played The Clash at the start as well. It got into their Yeah, it's a great song. What an iconic band, you know, fronted by, by, by Joe Strummer, the great Joe Strummer. And they gave the gun its day in that song we heard, Tommy Gun. And what I like about that song is it captures, one, the fact that the gun was easy to move across the world, and two, that it was kind of internationally a guerrilla gun. Tommy Gun, you better strip it down for a customs run. Tommy Gun, waiting in the airport till kingdom come. And we can watch you make it on the nine o'clock news, standing there in Palestine, lighting the fuse. Whatever you want, you're going to get it. But before Al Capone, Tommy Shelby uh, in Peaky Blinders or anyone else fired one of these things, it rang out for the first time in Marino. And that's a Hidden Histories. Ah, oh, brilliant. Very well done. <laughs> Donald Fallon, author of the Commute to Me blog, book volume two, out now. And that is it for me today. Off the Ball is up next. As always here on News Talk, my thanks to the production team, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan. Jojo Cardozo was on sound. And to play us out, we started with The Clash. We may as well stick with them. We're going to finish with this. Enjoy your Sunday.